Welcome to Geek Primecast. I'm Xander. And I'm Kim. So it was the end of an era as the sci-fi hit the 100 aired its final episode. And we've gotten a little distance from the episodes. We've had time to... Time to digest che- it all. Digest it. Yeah. yeah, that's a good term. Chew over it. Think about it. Uh, maybe cool down those hot takes a little bit, though some of them might still be a little warm. Oh, no. Mine are, mine are still hot. Uh, but anyway, it's been seven long seasons from when the hundred first came down from the arc, and we ended up a long, long way away, but also back where we started, kind of. So let's talk about the show itself, and then we'll get into the finale. And a warning, there will be heavy spoilers, so if you have not watched that final episode by now, or if you are just getting into the 100, watch it before, because we're going to spoil the whole show at this point. Uh, but then come back and listen to this. So, so Kim, what are your big takeaways from the show? What will you remember it for? I think I, I was a 100 fan because it was really awesome seeing a really diverse show with diverse characters tackle really complex themes of society and religion all through the perspective of young adults. I loved seeing not just the racial diversity, but sexual diversity, whether it's the romance between Miller and Jackson that survived all the way to the end. So there's your first Ooh. spoiler. Um or the relationship between Clark and Lexa, which was unfortunately cut short, which um, was a point of contention, and that was your second spoiler. Yeah. I personally really loved the first couple seasons. It really hooked me, uh, especially before Jasper died. There was a lot of tension. Uh, I mean, not that there wasn't tension in the final seasons, but you kind of started to get a feel for generally who was safe and who wasn't. But in those first couple of seasons, man, people were dropping like flies. There were surprises. There were there's all this craziness. Um, you never knew who you could trust, who you couldn't, who was going to stab you in the back. Uh, one of my favorite episodes was at the end of season two, beginning of season three, when Murphy was stuck in the mansion bunker on Becca's Island. Uh, I I always just really liked Murphy, uh, especially like his development um, he might be my favorite character. His arc was really, no, no pun intended, but his arc oh. was really, really good uh, from this like sinister sociopath, like person you think is going to be a clear bad guy to kind of heroic cockroach. Yeah, I think that's what this show did so well. The character development was just perfect. It was absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. Um, I also enjoyed the contrast of good and bad. There are people, oh, yeah. yeah, there are people who flip-flopped um, and then, and, and the main character, Clark herself flip-flopped a lot yeah. between good and bad. I think that's the thing that hooked me is I got it. You got in really, really early, if not the first episode, like yeah. the first two or three episodes. I'm a big CW fan. I didn't I'm, get in. I'll take whatever, whatever they're selling me. Yeah. I didn't get in until you kept talking it up and talking it up. And finally, I think middle of season one, I went back and watched it all on demand. And I think the thing that really hooked me was what they did with Kane, where very first episode, I'm sitting there, I'm settling in. I'm like, okay, this guy's clearly a bad guy. You know, I can see who is clearly a bad guy, who's clearly a good guy, how everything's set. And then as the season progressed, it's like, whoa, wait, Kane wasn't the bad guy. (laughs) I thought Kane was the big bad. I thought like, oh, okay, I got, I got to hate Desmond from Lost now. Got it. I'm all in for that. But that's not what it was. And even, like I said, like Murphy, and Bellamy were like the the big bads of season one. Yeah. And they end up being some of the most heroic characters in the show uh, and some of the most sympathetic. 
so yeah, that that I think was the show's biggest um, biggest asset, and and also I think what it sort of started to lose because you can only do that so many times, but what it started to kind of lose towards the end. I mean, yeah, the, uh, the thing is, there's a good, at least, you know, to the characters that kind of flip-flop between the the good and the bad, there's also a, a contrast to that, which are the people whose moral sense evolved as the show went on, like Raven. And I'll talk oh, yeah. about it later, but Raven's one of my favorite characters, and she stayed true to herself, but in a way where, you know, her purpose was so small to begin with. You yeah, know? she was just trying to go on a spacewalk, and and then she ends up, you know, well, she was trying taking that to, mission down to uh, down to Earth. She's trying to find her boyfriend. Yeah, she's trying to find Finn. Yeah, and then she volunteered to bring some. Uh, I think it was bring supplies or something. Bring something down to Earth that the hundred needed. But to go to go from a purpose that small and a mission that small to become again, spoiler, honestly for for this podcast, but to me to become the hero of the whole series um, was a really amazing way to, to watch her evolve, but also for her to grapple with the notion of what good and bad is and, and what it means to be a hero um, in in a way that, you know, Clark impulsively struggled with Mm -hmm. Raven was very much a a calculated thinker. And And yeah, they, they did something else with her that, I, I always harp on this uh, in, in any kind of pop culture, any kind of uh, media is they give her this, this mobility injury and uh, they fixed it, but it wasn't like a miracle cure. It kept coming back. Yeah. Uh, the, the prosthetic on her leg kept breaking down. It This wasn't, this wasn't an arrow thing where, whoa, Felicity is paralyzed oh, from the waist yeah. down. Oh, no, but she's magically up again. And every once in a while, a villain lame. will will nullify her, her the little chip in her back. But otherwise, she's totally fine. No, Raven struggled with her mobility issues throughout the show after it happened. And I, I, I mean, I care very deeply for the um, for the disabilities community, for the the physically disabled, the developmentally disabled, the intellectually disabled. It's a community that I have spent a lot of time with as a family member, as a friend, as uh, a- an aide. And it's just, I always look at disabilities as they're portrayed, especially in pop culture. And they're not there, there's usually some sort of, you know, magic cure or miracle that happens that, that, oh, this person has this disability, but we're going to take that away. We're going to not, you know, but the hundred really incorporated that with Raven. Like she didn't, she never kind of overcame the mobility issue, which is the lived experience of just about everybody with, with that kind of issue. Yep. So let's talk about the finale. So we open the episode with Jackson, Murphy, and Raven. They're trying to save Amori. Uh, She was caught in the collapse, and there is now this sort of, like, piece of the building sort of piercing through her. Yeah, after the the disciples bombed uh, the the bunker on Earth. Yeah, and I know my initial reaction was like, well, this is how we lose Amori. Um... I was, and technically it, it was, it was, I, I don't like, so if you've seen the end of the episode, uh, you'll understand what I'm saying here. I don't like how they did her ending. I don't like, I don't like how they did a bunch of endings and I'd actually like to go back to, 
uh, to before the finale really quick to a couple episodes before um, that something that you and I have talked about with Raven's storyline and how and also uh, tied in with the Bellamy storyline. Uh, I think that when when Nikki confronted Raven in the in the reactor uh, in I think it was the second or third to last episode, I think that number one, Raven should have died there. I think uh, I think her her story had come to a conclusion, and this was kind of her paying for the decision she'd made. And it's unfair because other people have made like decisions like she did. Yeah. But I think that's the point of the hundred is that is that sometimes the people that make the right decisions are still the ones who kind of suffer, um, regardless. And I think that just keeping with with Raven's character and Raven's storyline, I think Nikki should have killed her there. And I think that Nikki saying like, cause, cause Nikki walking into the reactor and being like, you know what? You're not even worth it. That is so not Nikki's character. I thought that that was one of those like, Hey, we don't want Raven to die right now. So we're going to just have Nikki have this closure scene. And that's not, we didn't see that kind of development at all from her. So that was a weird scene. I think Raven should have died. Um, I think that was that would have closed the loop on her story really well. Um, I understand they they were trying to go for the feel good ending, but like that's not the hundred. You know, if the feel good ending was was the hundred, then like um, what, Ricky Whittle's character yeah. Lincoln would have would have showed up or something. Yeah. What's the, what's the decision making behind who gets the feel good ending and and who doesn't like Bellamy. And then Clark killing Bellamy also didn't make sense because even if it is like, she's trying to protect her, you know, this girl that she feels is her daughter. It just, it didn't feel like Clark to just murder Bellamy like that. And then Octavia and echo, they spent years trying to get back to Bellamy. And there was, there was, kind of kind of no reaction from them like they were trying to do the clean ending and i get that i get that they wanted to end the hundred with the hundredth episode but i think that boxed them into a corner and i think and i i wrote this on a on a piece for our site uh for a shameless plug at uh geek-prime.com uh that they they just packed too much story into two seasons i mean i would have liked to spend more time with orlando on skyring like that relationship Mm -hmm. didn't feel natural to me uh, there was just, there was just a bunch that they, I feel like they just boxed themselves too much in a corner and the, it, I think the final season suffered for it. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. I think this was the weakest of the seasons. I think we kind of saw this coming. Um, not a lot of shows stick the landing to be honest. And especially I, when they changed it from the, like they've been building up this, the, the last war, the last war. And then it, Oh, it's a, Jordan figures out it's a test. And then the last like three episodes, it's all about how it's a test. And, but like Cadigan still goes in and then that's where we pick it up. Clark murders Cadigan in front of this alien as humans are trying to ascend. Yeah, Cadigan's in purgatory uh, at the beginning of this episode, taking the test, which is delivered by some supernatural being who has taken the form of his daughter, Callie. And then Clark finds her way into purgatory. I'm calling it purgatory. That's not actually what it is. It's this, like, weird space. Yeah. Non-corporeal. 
space, thought space. I don't know. So anyway, Clark comes in and she's like, bang, pencils down. And I'm like, okay, who wrote this? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was such a cheesy line. And then especially like going from like that, like super decisive one liner to when they come back, her being like super concerned. It's like, hold on. Yeah. Clark, Clark, you need to talk to somebody. Because yeah. that was that was quite the shift there. The writing the writing was pretty sloppy in that moment, which was a really big moment for the show and a and a big moment for this episode. Um, but also, I have so many questions because this. How test- do you get a gun into into non corporeal space or like this like higher level? There are apparently just no rules in this. Yeah. This ex- also, it's like, not one person at a time. Yeah, that's that's that was my main question. Is that I. Kind of thought only it was one person at a time, but apparently anyone can just walk in like, there. You can't. How do you even get in there? But also, I mean, pardon my French, but like the supernatural being in the form of Callie didn't see Clark coming down that long ass pier. She didn't see her walking well, down I, the pier. I could see them. The entire I way? could see that explanation being that like this being doesn't want to like interfere with things. But how did Clark get there in the first place? Like, how do they allow like if if. You can really do it like that. Why don't you have like fifty people go in and just be like, "Hey, can you take this part of the?" I test? know because can it, you take that part of the chest. Like, if you think about it, um, like why not just take a whole bunch of people in there? Like Clark, a little party? Clark designated herself as the one to go in, but uh, if there are no rules as to how many people can go into this space bridge, then she should have brought everybody with her. Anybody. And the test continues no matter what. So why not just like have one person go in and be like, "Oh, this isn't my part, bro," and like walk out. <laughs> And and then, like, the next person just, like, runs up the pier and is like, hey, 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 this is me, this is me, I know love. There were so many logic flaws was, involved yeah, in this, in like, this afterlife. In they this... build all this yeah. up as, like, this crazy thing that they've got to find the code to, and then, like, and then it's, like, a free-for-all. I mean, everything else was so meticulously planned and guarded, and it... It's, Sanctum was more guarded than this thing. Th- yeah, it's it's like, it's insane. So... Bardo was more guarded than this thing was, and this is supposed to be some higher plane of existence. And... How, how do you have and use a gun in this place? It's there. I have so many questions. Like, so, uh, so yeah, I think, I think that that, that for me was, and it was so early in the episode that for me was a sign that I was going to be continuously disappointed in whatever happened from this point on everything from like the cheesy script writing to the sort of logic flaws involved in this space bridge um, to the ease with which Clark kills Cadigan. And because everything was easy this season. I know. Bellamy's conversion to, to the disciples. I get that they, they say, Oh, it's been three months, but just like with Orlando on Skyring, like I want to see more of that three months. Like I want to actually feel like Bellamy's changing because three months versus Six years with all his with all these friends. That's and all what these, I'm. That's what all I'm. All these relationships he's built up and everything he's done. Three really three months in a snowstorm changes you. You spent five years on the Ark, not knowing if you're ever going to be able to come back down. You know, with with Echo and uh, Murphy and Amori and Monty and Harper. Like, how do you? How does three months change you when that five years and that five years counts for nothing? You know, it, it's just a little. Yeah. It's a little weird. They've encountered so many religions and they've had such personal experiences with all of these religions from, you know, from tree crew to what have you and and to straight up cults. And 
Bellamy has not been susceptible to any of them until this one incident. And it, it, it just kind of, it wasn't believable to me that he was converted that quickly. Yeah. And I, and I also feel like, like his conversations with, with Doucette, they, they kind of made like this false narrative of, of it's this collective attitude versus this individual attitude, but it wasn't, it was, like Doucette's whole thing with like the, the and the all the disciples whole thing was about for the good of mankind, like even people that we've never met. But that's kind of what the hundred have been doing since season one is trying to keep the human race alive. They've been doing this whole for all mankind thing just in a different way and in a way that doesn't make people expendable. So it was like, but they try to set it up as if like it was tribal. And it was just weird. It was this weird, like, um, you know, tribal versus collective thing that wasn't coming through totally because it, it, I mean, making one crew wasn't tribal. That was collective. Like, there's just like, they were trying to make it seem as if the, the disciples were so alien to everyone that we followed on Earth, but they weren't. They were they're doing basically the same thing. Um, and so, yeah, the conversion just did not just fell so flat for me. Yeah. And so uh, everything after that fell flat. Yeah. And in- including his death I- at that point, I, 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 I thought he deserved way better than that. Yeah. I didn't think he deserved to, to die, especially not like that. Like it, it was out of character for Clark, just like that conversion was out of character for him. It was just, it felt weird. It felt compressed. It felt like, okay, just bear with us here. That's what it felt like we were being told. Yeah. So since we're we're talking about Bellamy's death, which is not the final episode, but, um, you know, something that is a point of contention, um, I'm going to broaden it. And, and it's not, for me, Bellamy's death wasn't, the, the, the thing that irked me wasn't about Bellamy. Um, it was how they wrote Clark these past, I think, two seasons, and and specifically her relationship with Maddie, which took precedent before everything and everyone, and really sort of magnified Clark's already existing selfishness. Um, earlier in the series, Clark, we know her as someone who would do anything and kill anyone to save her people. Um, but in season seven, there was a distinct change in that she turned into a person who would do anything and kill anyone, not just to save, but even avenge Maddie, including killing her own people and killing a man that's been by her side and defended her for much longer and through much more traumatic events than Maddie. So for me, the Maddie relationship was also not believable. Mm-hmm. Um, I it, and, and let me just lay the groundwork here, which is not to say that someone cannot adopt a child and form yeah, a relationship yeah, no, with that child that is just as strong of a bond between a biological mother and child. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying that Clark's relationship with Maddie has so taken over her entire personality, her entire existence, her entire um, way of making decisions that she has become nothing but Maddie's Avenger. Yeah, and and it felt like it just felt like their relationship went down a, a pathway that kind of hadn't been set up. And 
And also, again, like everything else this season, felt really, really rushed. Yeah. Like and if- she wasn't and, – and, and again, to that point, she wasn't protecting Maddie. She oftentimes preemptively would attack others before they even looked in Maddie's direction. Yeah. So there was there was something strange about that relationship there that didn't feel maternal to me. Um it, it felt a little bit more aggressive and a little more selfish and 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 you know more sinister than than a mother trying to protect her child. That and then that all goes to how it all went down with Bellamy. I, I, again, mm-hmm. to be honest, Nobody needed that sketchbook. They already had the sketchbook, so killing Bellamy doesn't take the sketchbook away from them. In fact, it highlights the need for the sketchbook. I don't know. That felt really just wildly unnecessary. Which is, that's that's all that Clark had become in season seven. It was this sort of like, she's this gun-wielding, like, I will shoot you before you even, like, look at my child. You know? And and it was this, and it was it was weird. The the decisions didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it wasn't about the community, the people that she had surrounded herself with. Every single breathing person became a threat to Clark. And the fact that she killed Bellamy rather than Shade Hada, who had been dying for the last six episodes. Oh my God! Yeah, and he's the one that eventually turn Maddie in like why would you kill your friend rather than kill the clear bad guy who's sitting right there like why I he posed way more of a threat yeah and 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 like I said like I I just cannot get over uh Octavia and Echo's reaction I mean they're just so nonchalant and being, well, well, Bellamy, Bellamy was already dead. I, I mean, Echo spent five years very determined. Like, I could I could maybe believe Octavia because, like, all the stuff she's been through and, and like, also, like, her PTSD of being uh, Blood Raina and being back in the bunker. But Echo, Echo had built her entire existence around freeing Bellamy. Like, you can't get to acceptance that quickly. I agree. Especially when she had just gotten him back and they're, like... How do you know that you can't unprogram him if he's been, you know, brainwashed by these folks? Like, it just, it just did not make any sense. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the other scenes in the finale. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the bunker, um, which is nobody's focus watching this entire finale. I think they were just trying to keep keep that keep those characters alive and in play um jordan and hope they kiss yes which was just also unnecessary to be yeah, honest it was like um, why are we starting this this relationship that these characters have known each other for three episodes this yeah, is a weird don't give me a new relationship when the world is weird ending place i'm sorry to go in the final episode um and then uh Nikki and her fellow prisoners jump through the gateway because apparently Raven and her are friends now. Um, They get Nyla, who is still alive and not dead, contrary to my popular (laughs) belief. Um, uh, They get them out of the 
bunker. Uh, Jordan makes this magic machine. Again, some lazy writing going on here that can deactivate the disciples' invisibility shields. He apparently invents it and builds it in like a half hour. Yeah, yeah, that was some real, that was some real Tony Stark, Felicity Smoke stuff right there. Like, yep. Uh, and then like, they... we, like we went from how do we how do we live among these these people who have built huts and and whatnot on the surface of an uninhabitable earth to oh, I could totally build that thing, dude. I, this I mean... thing that never existed before that we have an urgent need for right now. I gotcha, boss. Where Don't worry was about it. this like... contraption at the beginning of season seven? Yeah. You had access to way more advanced stuff on Sanctum, Jordan. What what was happening to you? What were you, like, why were you not thinking about it then? I mean, once they landed on Sanctum and realized there was such thing as invisible people in invisible suits, I think Jordan should have been like, hey, I can build a thing for that. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any thoughts on the um, Murphy and Maury death situation do i ever so do you want do you want to set up what happened there or do you want me to so basically dr jackson is ready to perform surgery on amori but she bleeds out she dies anyway and then murphy comes up with the idea to take out her mind drive do you remember she had that in her um but jackson refuses to take part because it is immoral and well, it's more the the fact that they that Murphy wanted him to load the mind drive into, into Murphy's mind drive because brain. they know that that means that Murphy will die. And Jackson Jackson's whole thing is, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to do something that's going to kill a healthy person. Uh, but Murphy convinces him to anyway. And so I liked the. I liked that solution, I thought it was very a very elegant solution. It was a very Murphy solution of, and we'd earned that. Like that was an earned thing where Amori is like their relationship has been going on for several seasons now has developed. Ha- they spent five years not talking to each other on, on the arc uh, during the five years after, after prime fire. Um, they, they really develop like a deep, deep bond. And so Murphy, you know, putting, putting Amori in his head and knowing that that was going to kill him, but she was dead anyway. So he was like, well, it doesn't matter to me anymore. And I thought her reaction, I thought that was the best writing of the entire final season was Amori realizing that they're in uh, Murphy's mind drive and then freaking out and saying, no, 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 you, you got to take me out. And then yelling for Jackson to take her out as if Jackson can hear her. Mm-hmm. And and then finally accepting that, you know, Murphy was that she was dead and that Murphy was going to die, too. Uh, I think right there, the two of them should have should have died like that. I think that would have been very. Uh, very poetic, very nice, very. It, it would feel a lot more real there because the stakes just didn't feel real at the end because you knew everyone was going to survive. And also they, they keep pointing out, Oh, death is the end. Death is the end. Uh, you can't, you can't ascend if you, if you die. 
but I guess they just mean if your mind isn't digitally backed up somewhere because Amori definitely died. So she had no soul, no essence to ascend, and still she got to ascend. So, like, that that really bothered me. Like, I get that Murphy wouldn't have wanted to be this, like, ascended creature without Amori, but that's why you let Murphy and Amori die together mm-hmm. before, the, before everyone ascends. Like, that just... I, I just they cheapened what could have been like the best scene of the finale. And it just, that really bothered me. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I don't know what the point was behind keeping a lot of the characters alive at the end, because we all know that this is the last episode of this show ever. Yeah. So I'm not expecting a, a spinoff show of, Clark and her fellow stranded survivors. Like, I I don't know why they didn't... They had set all these characters up for very poetic um, deaths and Mm -hmm. didn't have the bravery to do it. They chickened out. They went with a feel-good ending. Like, I I, I say in my my article that uh, they had the choice that... that, Or that viewers had a choice between one of two endings uh, that happened within weeks of each other. about 10 years ago, there was the lost finale and the Battlestar Galactica finale. Uh, the Battlestar Galactica finale was incredible. It was one of the best finales I've ever seen of any show. I would say top three, maybe I, it it was, it was so good. It wrapped everything up. Um, you didn't wonder what happened afterwards you kind of just knew that like this was the end of this journey and after this it's going to be like you know very boring journey but a very human journey and then there's the lost finale which pissed everyone off uh which i found ways to come to peace with uh and and that i like it but it was just it was a letdown and this was the lost ending they went with they went with the feel good what you know like just skipping to the very final scene where everyone is ascended except Clark is for some reason not allowed to ascend and she's going to like live out her life and die. And then you find out everybody, like all her friends, not everybody, but her, her close friends all took human form and then they just will live out their lives and die and reascend. And the, the, the higher being saying, you know, we've never had any creature do this before. It's really no one's ever said, hey, can I go back and like live my live my like physical life? Will there be any drawbacks? Like, I think for that, they should have said like, yeah, you can't reascend. And that would have made that meaningful because it's like, oh, yeah, you can just go visit Clark for 60 years and then you get to reascend again. It's like, OK, so there's no cost to that. Why wouldn't everyone do that? Really, every, all these all these species have ascended, and not one of them, not a single person in that all those species has ever thought to say, "Hey, can I do like a no cost, like go back and live a full life, and then come back up here?" Like that, that just felt like so. That I felt cheated out of a real ending there. Yeah. So I never expected a happy ending really for any of these characters, nor do I think anyone really deserved it. Um, at the end, I did read an article that said that Clark's fate was cruel, that she didn't deserve a lifetime of loneliness. Loneliness, But let's not forget that Clark committed genocide multiple mm-hmm. times. At least one that I remember. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, at least so one. So, like, more than once. Um, so, 
uh, again, like mass you, murder, <laughs> mass murder. There's a difference. I mean, uh, well, one's one's an ethnic group. One's just indiscriminate. So fair. Um, so just like you, I wish Lexa didn't say that everyone who trans- transcended came back to Earth um, and gets to join the collective conscious conscience after they die. Um, there needed to for me to be a consequence for them choosing Clark. Yeah. Um, and this was a no cost thing for them. And also them choosing Clark was offensive to me because the Clark of season seven wouldn't have chose them over anything. Yeah. So she was In fact, the one person she would have chosen them over didn't come back. Maddie. Yeah. I mean, it, there was just so much wrong with that. So I, there was no consequence for choosing Clark, which means there's no consequence for Clark, um, which means she never actually learns her lesson ever. Yeah. So it's I, just like when Clark dies, everybody else, you know, just gets to reascend. And, and and also for being, you know, too harsh on Clark, I I think that one of the one of the things about the 100 again is it's not always fair. Things aren't always fair. It's not always what you think oh, this person should get this or this person should get that. That's what the ending was, was the, oh, this person should get this. That wasn't a good ending. That wasn't a well-written ending. That was a, oh, wouldn't it be great if nothing mattered and this happened? And then nothing mattered and it happened. And it was like, it, it just, it fell so flat. And I mean, it wasn't the only thing that fell flat. I mean, when when um, Raven was arguing for humanity's ascension because Clark originally failed the test, when Raven was um was you know trying to take the test retake the test for humanity, and there was that little like that little battlefield yeah um between the between the grounders and uh and the disciples, and it just again it felt super contrived and super fake, and it was like a ripoff of um of what they were going for with encounter at Farpoint from uh, the first episode of star Trek, the next generation where humanity is put on trial by Q and Picard argues that they have a spark of a spark of something more than just this, you know, this, you know, primitive race of creatures that shouldn't be allowed outside of a certain area. I think that it, it was, it was just kind of weak because like, the the disciple soldiers on one side and the tree crew on the other side or the one crew on the other side kept shooting at each other and then listening to someone saying stop and then shooting each other again and it just was so inconsistent so weird yeah i don't i don't think realistically you can run out in the middle of a battlefield and just yell stop and then give like a 5 minute speech that everyone is going to be just riveted yeah, to yeah it, it ended with like to. a lisa simpson like <laughs> Kyle Broflovsky, guys, <laughs> I really learned something today. Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> what was that? That oh, it was just so frustrating, and it was so, it was such a departure in not a great way from from previous seasons, from previous you know no win situations, like when when Pike took over um, uh, the the Sky Crew camp. And when, you know, just all the all the machinations and all the the power struggles that happened before it, this just felt so like 
low stakes and also because like you know especially once raven starts starts being like oh can i retake the test you know that they're gonna ascend it's just like oh great so how how many times is shade hater gonna you know get them to start shooting at people again before they ascend and also like it also cheated us of one of the big lessons of the hundred which is there is no big bad um in the hundred it's always been uh, yeah, this person seems like the big bad right now, but if you somehow take them out, there's still a festering something else. Like even in season six, it was like that when they finally took out the primes and the adjusters were still there and there were still like religious fanatics there, uh, that, that then shade Hata took advantage of. But then at the very end, shade Hata is like the big bad that you kill him and everyone's like, Oh, I guess we should be friendly now. Like but also, what is what was his motivation? Like the world. Was, oh, he's just an chaotic evil. Like yeah. that's his motivation. Like he just wants to like burn everything down. I guess they made that clear-ish. It just seemed with all the nuances of of good and bad that the hundred has grappled with over all of these seasons to have somebody like Shade Hater who's like, yep, just bad, fully bad. Yeah, yeah, it just <laughs> it takes was... away all the nuance. And I get having a a like a like a really scary bad guy was like like a big deal, but we've had really scary bad guys that have then turned out to have more dimension. And Shade Hayda yeah. had one dimension. It was like like it it, it just it didn't make sense. It, it was like they were like, hey, JR Born, just Go out there and start screaming some wild stuff, waving your gun around. We're gonna put some like bang bangs in there and post, and just 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 start yelling until until like you know we say bang you're dead, and then just fall over. Like you know like, and especially for an actor who is so good and showed how good he was going from Russell Prime to Russell the Prisoner to. Shade Hata pretending to be Russell to Shade Hata. Like, he's so good just in that show. I mean, I mean, beyond that show, like, he was really good in Stargate SG-1. He was really good Teen in Wolf. Teen Wolf. Yeah, like, he's just, he's a really versatile actor. And so at the very end, just having him run around screaming shit and, like, shooting at people. And then just, you know, you kill him and everyone gets to ascend. Like, just didn't make sense. Also, if we're not supposed to be killing, then killing the antagonist like are does that mean humans are just going to always kill whoever they see as the antagonist so how do we get to ascend from that like just because everyone put their weapons down at the after after that like you still had to kill someone in front of these ascended creatures like it just uh sorry this is just yeah I'm losing my mind on this <laughs> i've bottled this in for the last couple of weeks thinking about how to not rant in this podcast and this has devolved into a rant well you know what i've bottled in over these last few weeks what what did picasso the dog do to deserve also a lifetime of loneliness oh yeah dogs he did oh, not get was not it all, all dogs? dogs go to heaven was it was it did other dogs get to ascend and was did Picasso just no, do something no, bad think, that we I, don't know? I think it's I think it's only well maybe maybe, maybe I'm just saying he was the only dog. Picasso maybe Picasso committed mass murder. We don't know. Uh, he had a whole four years to commit mass murder. I, I, he must um, have done something Clark level. I think it's, there were no other well, dogs. There were I no think other it's animals. No dogs took the test because no dogs figured out the code. You have to be sentient to figure out the code. So pets can't come with you. 
I'm just saying there's only one the dog. Was. There was only one dog. There were no there other was only dogs. One dog on all of Sanctum. I don't know where that dog came from. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the what they did to make that one dog. <laughs> I mean, Does, everyone is he knows. chipped? Do you think? Is he what? Is he chipped? Chipped? <laughs> <laughs> he might. He, he might be. I don't know what. In kind which of, case, he could have taken the test. But, but, I'm just saying. But there were no other dogs. So how did how did Picasso get there if there were no other dogs? Or was he the last dog on Sanctum? I'm just saying. There's no other dogs. There's no pictures of people with dogs. Like, where did that dog come from? I mean, if there's gonna you be need a two spin-off. other dogs to make a dog. <laughs> Like, if, there's, if there's going to be a spinoff a, of this show, I'm, I think I want to know more about Picasso. I want to find out where where that dog came from. He really is. He's. A, I'm not a, a scientist, but unless you do some weird genetic stuff, you need two other dogs to make a dog. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. When we first like, was he made in a lab? Do we think he was just like a laboratory dog? So I'm not gonna lie. When we first met Picasso, if so they did a really good job. He was a normal looking dog. <laughs> no. When we first met Picasso, like. I thought they were going to actually make a big deal out of him. I was like, there's something up about this dog. Why is there just one dog? Yeah, we've got a pet. The... Like, this is crazy. Yeah, Even they... on Earth, where there was biodiversity, we didn't really have any yeah, pets. Yeah, there were no pets in this in, in the entirety of this show that grapples with existence. You know what and it so... felt like? It felt like? It felt like Clark was running for office, and they were like, all right, well, we need to put your daughter in a dress, even though she's been wearing pants this whole time. <laughs> And uh, and we need to give you a dog to make you seem a little more relatable. You know, that final test thing, like, <laughs> send Cadigan and then Clark, like, I don't think anyone deserves I'm like, if that's, if that's, I think everyone should have been exterminated. Those are the two yeah. that you, like, after you figure out Cadigan already went, when, when you decide, okay, someone's got to go after Cadigan, saying, mm, you know who should go after Cadigan and make a scene in front of these, like, space gods? Clark. Like, no! <laughs> No, send anyone. I mean, send Picasso in. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I said, we don't know Picasso's story. Like, um, I can't think of anyone worse. I would honestly rather have sent Shade Hayda in. Yeah, I mean, like if you're gonna that's, send, that's if, the pattern, if though. You're, if you're gonna just destroy your chances to ascend, just send the nastiest person who's gonna figure out how to kill the space yeah. god too. Cadigan, Cadigan's a cult leader, and and, and uh, so Shade Hayda. Clark is a mass murderer. Yeah. In fact, Clark probably has a body count that's bigger than Shade Hayda, to be honest. Oh, she might. Yeah. I didn't think about that. She wiped out entire How many were how many mountain men were there? There were a lot of mountain men. A couple hundred? But then again, Shade Hayda also had like several like years of like wiping out other grounder tribes. I don't know. But then again, he incorporated them. He didn't wipe them all out. He just killed some of them. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Maybe Clark did have a bigger body count. Ooh. So yeah, we we said. I mean, sending in Shane Hayda, why the fuck not? You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, just uh I I think those aliens should have just been like, we've been waiting for you. All right, we just got some things we want to say to you, then we're sending you back out because you're not, you know, you don't get to take the test. Well, once they revealed kind of how how the judgment works. I mean, I I, also, I thought I would have been satisfied if they were like, listen, based on everything we've observed and we've seen and and like honestly we can just not even take the test like you guys don't deserve to live yeah but like <laughs> like how did they they acted like when Cadigan got there they had enough they had no idea about like humanity but then when Clark got there they were like you know how many people have you killed Clark and it's like you don't ask that kind of question unless you know the answer like I don't walk up to people and be like how many people have you killed 
you know? Yeah. Um, but also, like, I want to I want to know what the rest of the test was like, because we kind of cheated. Like, Raven kind of, like, came in and convinced the Proctor to, like, accept her Scantron over <laughs> Clark's. It was like being given a multiple choice test and having someone come in to instead turn it into an oral argument. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. So it's like, okay, again, in this weird space bridge... And our alien overlords, there are no rules. Yeah. Also, what did the rest of the test look like? Because we just got the very beginning. Where, I mean, Cadigan, where Cadigan, Cadigan was somehow acceptable to these like space gods because they were the the representation of his daughter was said. Yeah. Well, first, let's discuss love, and then and then he gets executed by Clark, and and it's like, well, what was the rest of the test? Like, what's the barrier to entry for this yeah. for this ascension thing? I mean, yeah, Cadigan, it's just wild just because Cadigan and his followers seem to believe that there was this sort of rigorous, well-thought-out, well-plotted um, assessment for humanity. And in the end, it was just this sloppy... Yeah, it was just, please, please don't get my friend's detention, please. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, you know... As as far as that whole scene went, I think I I hope people were happy to see Lexa again. Again, there was a a huge Lexa was a huge point of contention yeah. for a lot of fans, especially a lot of fans who um who really enjoyed the um LGBTQIA representation. Mm-hmm. In, and Alicia Debbie Carey was just really good in that role. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean the the. The chemistry between uh, Clark and Lexo was undeniable. I it, totally bought that. Yeah, you know, it, like in in those seasons when when they were developing their relationship, I totally, I yeah, they just like they had really good chemistry together. Yeah, right. and it it took on a life of its own um, through fan fiction and lots of fan blogs and and just shippers in general. Um, so I, I I totally understand that people were devastated um when lexa was killed so i i hope but that's what part of what made that sh- the show great was like you're devastated yeah, when a character dies whereas i didn't care when bellamy died i was like really you killed bellamy? yeah it, it's I everybody mean, there in that room yeah no one is precious in this show um i think they did catch a little flack um on the blog kill your gaze because uh some people seem to think that it was sort of a, another example of a strong uh, gay or a, a strong gay character existing only to to be um, to 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 be part of a tragedy um, I, so I I don't I understand that criticism and while like I'm uh, clearly not part of that community I I I mean it's something that I think about a lot because I like er, like when I was uh, when I was younger I read, uh, the the essay uh, w- uh, about women in refrigerators, which yeah. was a mm-hmm. criticism of uh, Green Lantern, which you know Kyle Rayner's girlfriend existed only in like the first issue of of his run of Green Lantern, just to be folded up and put in the refrigerator for him to find murdered uh, to kind of spur him to become to accept the mantle of Green Lantern, and and like you know it just you know that genre of women being disposable or or hurt or some other way put in peril just to motivate a man to do something heroic i get that but i felt like i felt like when lexa died it 
that felt like the natural progression of the story. Yeah. That didn't feel, I mean, again, I'm not part of the community. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, say how, how, uh, anyone in the LGBTQIA community should feel. Uh, I'm just saying that to me that I've thought about this kind of thing a lot and I, I, I try to be very sensitive to it when I, when I watch shows, when I critique shows, but that just felt like a natural progression of the story. Yeah. And uh, they weren't the only gay couple. In fact, they, the only couple that lived that I think legitimately lived, because I don't count Amori as having lived uh, to the end. The only couple that lived to the end. Jackson and Miller. Were Jackson and Miller. I yeah. mean, technically Olivia and Levitt, but I don't know, that, that relationship was kind of like built out of trauma. I don't think that would have lasted if they hadn't descended. But yeah, Jackson and Miller, like that was, they were like, they were like the last couple of, of, uh, of the hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did enjoy the Jackson Miller storyline. I, invo- I thought their reunion when they finally got reunited yeah. was like really good. Cause you see how like they both get pulled in different directions because of their duty, like Jackson's duty to, to, you know, first as, you know, to help Abby and then just to like, in general, where people need, need to be healed. And then Miller's need to protect people and they kind of get pulled in separate directions, but then they're able to come back together and the relationship's still there. And, and like, even, you know, the second to last episode or something, um, Jackson was, Jackson was telling Miller, like, you need, you can, you can take a breath, you know, you can calm down. You don't need to, cause he was there laying in bed and, and Miller's just super, super stressed, uh, because like he's just been living on razor's edge for so long and Jackson's able to kind of bring him back down and bring him, bring him back to reality. So, yeah, but I, what I'm trying to say is, is I hope that seeing Lexa again and, and hearing Lexa and Clark or hearing Lexa confront Clark in a way that I think Clark needed to be confronted. You know, I think that was for her the moment where she realized she wasn't supposed to be the one that goes through the portal and answers the questions on behalf of all humanity. And no matter how, you know, egotistical Clark is or how self-centered she is and, or how narcissistic she is. Um, I think Lexa did, or, or this supreme being in the form of Lexa did a really good job knocking her down a notch. Um, she goes, your need for revenge is more important than the fate of the entire human race. And, and I definitely was like, yes, Lexa, just, just lay it, lay it yeah. on, lay it on her, lay it on thing. And, and Clark goes, it's not revenge, it's justice. And Lexa is like, juice drain, juice down, I guess. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that is what I needed to hear. And that's what Clark needed to hear. And, and I loved that. I missed that about Lexa. I missed that about their relationship that Lexa was always calling Clark out and balancing her out. And, um, and I, like I said, I, I hope for all the people who um, missed Lexa or were angry um, about Lexa's death, I hope that there is some closure there in yeah, that I thought moment. Was, I thought regardless of of our clear feelings about the finale, uh, I thought bringing back Alicia Debnam Carey and and having her, you know, reprise her role as Lexa was a good, I think because Lexa was such a central character um, to the whole to the whole experience on the ground. I think that it was really good bringing her back. And those uh, were some of that. my favorite seasons. I mean, like or her season was my my favorite season. I think of the whole show. I I'm willing to to mm-hmm. say so. So yeah, I I I loved. I I I missed. You know, I missed her. I loved seeing her. 
I'm yeah. I'm satisfied. Even though that wasn't really Lexa at the end. Yeah. Um, it was it was Lexa like enough for me. <laughs> what was the last meaningful death on the show for you? Oh, um, oh, that's a hard one. It's not Abby. No, why not? I thought that was powerful. Clark having to kick like her own mother's body out the uh, airlock because she realized she was dead. It's not because that wasn't Abby. She got she, Abby got a chance yeah, to get she, possessed if, first, and yeah, then but, before but she it, got killed. But like having to kill like the form of your mother. I think if it wasn't Abby, then it was Kane. Kane, Kane. Yeah, I a hundred percent ejecting himself. Like that was okay. Fine. Brutal. Even though Kane was also possessed. Kane was kind of, or in the, he was in another body. Yeah, he was. He was like Raven. He was one of the souls of the show. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Kane. I'm. I'm with you on that. I don't know why I was like immediately off the bat. Not Abby. <laughs> Sorry. So mean. Sorry, Abby. Ugh. I did want to touch on, again, we're talking about the last episode, we're talking about the last season, we're talking about loose ends. I did want to touch on the fact that it seemed like the writers started so many relationships in this final season that they never resolved. And they even did it in the in the final episode, which was a little frustrating. So again, um, Hope and Jordan kissing, why would you start that? But also... The relationship between, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Uh, the relationship between Octavia and Levitt, I'm, I'm not understanding what that was building or not building towards. Um, yeah. There were all these, like, weird romantic relationships. Even, like, Maddie got a little, like, had a little crush on the playground. And it's kind of like, why are you throwing... beyond, just relationships in general. Like I said, like, Orlando, like... They were trying to do like the similar thing that they did with like like child hope and and dev, uh, where you know you get like flashes over the years. But that made more sense because hope was a, like a child, and like you could you could understand how their relationship would grow organically. But when they meet Orlando, like it. It just didn't, especially his death mirroring devs just did not resonate for me. Like they never explained, you know, how, cause he had some sort of connection to hope, but they never explained that. Uh, they never showed the growth between especially Echo and Orlando, which honestly the first time when I first saw like that scene of, of like after them jumping forward five years, I thought Echo was acting because like, I just, I didn't buy that relationship. I mean, but it wasn't just people. It was, like, the disciples never got any kind of development. Like, beyond MCAP, their holding cells, the stone room, and that forest. Tell me what disciple culture is. Tell me what, you know, name, name, uh, name three disciples. Hmm. There are only three disciples to name. Doucette, Anders, and Levitt. Like there's no other, there's no other disciple that gets enough screen time other than Cadigan, who's not a disciple. He's the shepherd. I I mean, the people uh, from Sanctum, and I point this out in my article. The people in Sanctum, whether they're the Children of Gabriel, the Adjusters, the Faithful, the Primes, they're way more fleshed out. We get to meet them. We get to experience them. I Trey, the Adjuster, got as much screen time I think as, or maybe less than Anders, the disciple. 
I know more and understand the motivations of Trey more than I do Anders. I care more about Trey than I do about Anders. Like it, it just like I we didn't got care we got about any of them. Nothing honestly. from them. Yeah, I didn't care about any of them. I thought I thought they were going to tell us more about this cult of the disciples. I they were hinting at it when they were talking about the different levels of disciple that you can be and and they were hinting at this mystery around who who gets I guess dumped on on Sanctum. So, yeah. Oh, uh, no, no, on, on, uh, on, on, on Skyrim. On Skyrim. Yeah. They call it penance. Yeah. Who gets dumped on penance and like, you know, the, your rank has something to do with it. And, and they never resolve that for me. And, and yeah, that's the thing I point out in, in my article that, that Levitt is particularly confusing. Uh, because we've seen the only, the only people, in fact, the only people we've seen go to, um, go to uh to penance are high level uh uh disciples yeah orlando and dev and they were both level what like 11 or 12 but so so levitt takes a bunch of actions against the disciples that are weirdly overlooked and so here's from my article uh after he helps uh free octavia the first time he has this brief stint as a janitor and it's just incongruous with everything we've learned about Bardo up to that point. And after if he's being punished, why not just send him to Skyring? If it, uh, if it's possible for someone of his stature to be made a janitor, then why did a guard in the second to last episode ask what's a level 11 doing in prisoner transfers? If, if that's out of the ordinary, then we should all be asking why was level 11 serving as a janitor. And then why did he go back to MCAP? Like why, like why does Levitt keep, getting pardoned yeah and like not having any like like they don't say what orlando or um or dev did but they are clearly a lot like they didn't do anything nearly like betray the disciples so so just levitt's punishments were just so weird like just him showing up with a he just in like, I really thought that he was like a spy for Cadigan because he would just show up in the most convenient places yep. and just, you know, oh, I'm here mopping the floor, but let's go to the stone room. Oh, I'm back in MCAP. I can save someone. It's like it didn't make any sense. I agree. So, like I said, we have an article up on the site. It's called The Hundred Pack Too Much Story in Two Seasons. Uh, so you can check that out. You can let us know what you think. Uh, tell us what you think about the finale. Uh, did you think that it was great and we're out of our minds? Did you agree with us that the writing got lazy and sloppy? I think I'll tell you which one I will agree with more. But uh, but let us know. And thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter, GeekPrimeX. On Instagram, Geek.Prime. Uh, Geek Prime on Facebook and YouTube and you can read features and articles anytime at geek-prime.com